Hey, welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home to Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, of course, unless you've been living under a rock, the news that came down at approximately 11 o'clock Eastern time on Tuesday that Theo Epstein has stepped down as the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. That effectively opens the door for Jed Hoyer, who is the new president of baseball ops to fill said role and joining me on the podcast today it'll be bruce levine our marquee sports network contributor and the voice of the chicago cubs len casper now len when you first heard the news we knew that there were some rumblings and this could be a foregone conclusion but what was your initial reaction whenever you hear news like this and it's momentous news uh that really shook the baseball world uh, there is shock no question about it cole but as you go back now and you ponder what he said uh, in his news conference following the Cubs' exit uh, from the postseason, uh, he was hinting at this being a real possibility. Uh, we knew he had a 10-year plan in mind. We knew that he had been talking uh, to the chairman, Tom Ricketts, about a transition. We knew that Jed Hoyer was most likely to be his successor as the Cubs' president of baseball operations. And we knew that the latest that that would probably occur would be October or November of 2021. Uh, but I have to believe that this pandemic-shortened, very challenging 2020 season, uh, a very uncertain winter coming up for the Chicago Cubs, and the ball club in general being at a transition point, it was obvious Theo wanted to allow Jed to make a lot of what I believe will be very big decisions coming up over the next few months. So all in all, after listening to Theo today uh, describe his emotions and thoughts, uh, I don't think it's a very big surprise. And in fact, uh, this plan had probably been in place now for months. From my perspective, obviously, uh, I agree with Len here on a, on a lot of different levels. First of all, I, today I saw a stress-free Theo Epstein for the first time since he took this job over on October 21st of 2011. You could see it in his face. You could see it in his expressions. You could see it in his gratitude, Tom Ricketts and everybody back down through the organization for the success that came here. And one thing that really resonates very strongly with me is that there's no way that anybody can say he was pushed out of this job and that, uh, Ricketts family rejected what Theo was doing now and what the organization was doing because Jed Hoyer is the new president. So from that perspective, uh, he has to feel very good about the fact that there will be continuing work going on that he put in place here. And the people that he put in place will be doing all of that hard work to try to win the next world championship here with the Chicago Cubs. So from that, I think there's a lot of contentness about Theo Epstein going out the door, a winner and a guy that wasn't pushed, but rather knew that one year ahead of time, it was time for him to leave. Yeah, so essentially they're breaking up the band. Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, they've been in lockstep together for quite some time now with the Chicago Cubs, just days apart when they were hired. It's been nine years in the making. And now Jed Hoyer, of course, is the new president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. But uh, let's get the feeling from the man himself, the former president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. And Theo, I don't know what to call you nowadays. I guess it's just Theo Epstein. Now, when it came 
to you making the decision to step away as the president of baseball ops for the Chicago Cubs. How did you and Tom and Marie, Jack and Drew, more importantly, come to that decision? Yeah, you know, I've always had this uh, belief that I should be around uh, in any one job for about 10 years. And um, because of that, I'd already been talking to Tom about a possible transition. And he was just wonderful dealing with it over the last couple of years, trying to uh, pick uh, a time and a manner that would be best for the Cubs and, and also good for me. And, uh, you know, this summer when when COVID hit and then it became clear that we were going to be dealing with um, a lot of long-term decisions as an organization, decisions that would um, have consequences and impacts that would last many years, it just started to become clear that the right thing to do would be to, to turn things over to Jed and let him um, since he's invested here for a long time, going to be here for a long time, and more than ready, let him take the reins. And as a family, we'd already started started to come to terms with uh, a transition and looking forward to that freedom of a little bit more family time and having the option to try a lot of different things together as a family. So it was tough to leave because this is such a special place and, and the, the experiences and the people have made such an impact on me and are things that I'll cherish forever. And anytime you move on from that, it, it can be, you know, create some sadness. But that's just because it was such a such a rewarding time and the people are so meaningful. Like, I, I know this is the right call. Look forward and I'm excited about the future, both uh, the Cubs and my own. You know, covering you uh, for the nine years uh, intensely and then uh, also peripherally the other part of your career. The, the one thing I used to kid you about and you kind of shied away from it was your killer instinct and the, the fact that you never would accept defeat. And I compared you to Lombardi at one time and you really backed away from that. But the reality that I never saw you waver once as far as your passion and your commitment, uh, that, that has to be a testament to you and something that you're pretty proud of. But, but that said, uh, going out, uh, is there any one thing that you wish, uh, you left the Cubs uh, a little bit stronger at or better at uh, leaving this job on the 20th. Yeah. Uh, you know, I appreciate you meant you bring up that issue. I competitiveness is something that's really important in this game. That's what, that's what I love about baseball is uh, the, the togetherness, the fact that everything we do, um, it's not as an individual, it, it's, it's as a collaboration with the whole front office, the entire organization. And then the competitiveness, the fact that we get a daily referendum on, on how well we're doing in the standing. So, you know, we did accomplish our goals, our, you know, to, to build a foundation for sustained success that would get us in the playoffs on a regular basis. We've been in the postseason five of the last six years. And then the other goal together and over time to, to build a team that would win a world championship. I've, obviously, we've done that. But, yeah, you know, looking back, things that I wish had gone differently. Clearly, I wish that we would have performed better um, down the stretch and in the postseason the last, the last three seasons. I thought it was a, a calling card for, for our group to really play, play well and dominate when our backs were against the wall. We did it in uh, 15, 16, and 17 to a large extent, and then that hasn't been the case the last three years. So we have to own that too, and I wish I had done a better job putting us in a position where we could have played our best baseball uh, in October. Theo, uh, congratulations. Uh, it's a bittersweet day, but I'm very happy for you uh, professionally and yeah. personally, and uh, just thanks for a great nine years. Um, 
I know it's all about winning and losing. And, and, you know, when you win, it's great. It's amazing. When you lose, it's the worst thing in the world. But a big part of what you've done over the basically the entirety of your adult life is sign players and make trades. Can you talk about the adrenaline rush you get uh, from making a big move, knowing that you're not going to know the answer to the question maybe for a few weeks or maybe a year or two? But when you hang up that phone and you've made a big blockbuster four for four trade or a three team deal, we don't know if you're ever going to make that kind of move ever again the rest of your life. Can you let a fan know what it's like to make a move like that in your position? Sure. Yeah. Well, I certainly uh, hope I'll, I'll be in a position to make those kind of decisions again going forward in some in some form uh, or another. But yeah, it's, it's special. And I think. Um, there is a, lot, a big rush of adrenaline. There is a tremendous amount of responsibility. And there's, more than anything, an embrace of the unknown, right? Because you can, you can have the world's greatest process and look at the best information and analyze it the best possible way, have the best possible scouts, no matter what. In some, in some fashion, you're betting on future human performance. And because of that, there's going to be you know, a broad range of possible outcomes. There's, there's going to be randomness involved. Um, you're not necessarily going to get the result you deserve for better or for worse. So all you can do is guarantee the excellence of the process. You can't always guarantee the excellence of the result. And because of that, I think the greatest reward is really the work to get up to the point of making the deal. You know, the, the, the countless people involved in, um, you know, long journeys to see players, all the experiences that put them in a position to make a great evaluation, the research and development that we do to come up with breakthroughs on a better way to analyze a player's performance or his attributes, the understanding of where we are as an organization and how the fit um, might work with that player going forward and, you know, the resources that, that the business side uh, has provided for us to, to be able to go out and, you know, sign a John Lester or, or Ben Zobrist, and then the ultimate culmination of that with the decision, knowing you're the one um, making that final call and, and, and the impact on, on, on the hopes and dreams of so many to try to ultimately win a World Series. It's a, it's a great responsibility. I just throw myself into the process and don't uh, try not to get too much of my ego wrapped up in it and look at it more as a, an organizational process-based approach. Now, Theo, that 10-year threshold has seemingly been your line of demarcation when it comes to you and other positions you've held, as well as this Cubs position. Now, you said you would like your third chapter in baseball to be somewhere down the road, but when it comes to another chapter, potentially a first chapter, do we see that happening in another sport? Is it on television? Is it maybe in Major League Baseball's front office? What's next for you? Yeah, you know, I'm open to uh, all kinds of ideas. I know Clearly, I want to spend more time with my family and I want to try a number of different things. I think, you know, having uh, clocked in for work at Major League Ballparks for the last 29 summers, it, it'll be liberating to have uh, some freedom to um, to embrace uh, different pursuits. But I know I want to stay connected to the game. Um, I'd love to find a way to um, uh, give back to the game, serve the game in some form or another, if that takes the form of being part of the conversation on some industry issues or trying to help solve some problems we face as, as an industry, that'd be great. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna dive into some other areas too, uh, work with some nonprofits that I've been affiliated with and open to you know work outside of baseball, but 
I'll, I'll, the game will always be part of who I am. I'm never going to stray too, too far away from it. You know, uh, Theo, um, you, of, of all people in baseball, have always said, never say never. There are no untouchables. And taking it to the next level, my good friend uh, Vito Corleone always said, uh, we can make him an offer he can't refuse. Uh, is there an offer that you can't refuse out there if a Philadelphia Phillies owner or somebody of that nature came to you with the ultimate deal? Would you sit down with your wife and two sons and try to digest that and move forward more quickly than you might anticipate right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you absolutely that is that is not the plan. Um, but, you know, life is funny. I, I, I'll have more time to answer the phone, and if it rings, I'm going to answer. But um, there, there are certain elements um, of life besides, um, you know, running a team 24-7 that, that uh, I've been looking forward to, my family's been looking forward to, so it would have to be something that just blew us away and made sense for us in ways that, you know, certainly transcend just like you know money or opportunity it would have to just be, make sense as a lifestyle too and um we're going to take it as it comes we're not going to rush into anything chicago is our home now for the for the near future at least and um you know, lucky to have the support of uh, a great wife and two great sons and we're looking forward to a future together not not exactly sure where it's going to lead Theo, I want to take the baseball out of it and ask you more of a cultural question, and you kind of hit on uh, Chicago as your home. Uh, your kids have grown up here. Uh, you have established some very deep roots in terms of the community uh, with your foundation. Um, and there are a lot of interesting parallels between Boston and Chicago. Uh, so I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but I remember Jason Kendall once said, and he spent like three months here, he said, every player should be a Cub uh, at least at one time in his career. Can you just speak to the bigger cultural aspects of Cubs baseball and living in Chicago and kind of paralleling what you had in Boston. Yeah, the, it is really different here. I mean, the Cubs are such a special place. Um, I think the best way to describe it is that, you know, the lines are blurred between fans, players, front office, everyone associated with the team in, in, in ways that just don't happen elsewhere. It's a collective journey. It's a huge part of what it means to, to live in Chicago. It's part of the, the rhythm of the springtime, summertime, the fall. Um, it connects families. It connects groups of friends. Um, and it's just so intertwined in the, in the fabric of, of Chicago um, that it's, it's truly special. There's an intimacy involved in the relationship between the fans and, and the team and, and the players that uh, is just – priceless and, and makes it so unique. Now, there are elements of that with the Red Sox, too. I think if I had to contrast, I'd say the biggest difference between um, the, the, the Boston Red Sox experience and the, and the Cubs experience is just probably reflects the, the different sensibilities in the different parts of the country. You know, Boston, and I can say this because I grew up there, but it's, uh, you know, uh, got Calvinist roots, and there's, there's sort of a natural uh, skepticism or, or cynicism, pessimism. So, Growing up, going to games there, you know, you could have a three-run lead, but if the reliever came in in the seventh inning for the Red Sox and threw ball one, you could hear this, like, hiss go through the crowd. Ball two, forget about it. The sky was falling. And, and, uh, and with the Cubs, it was different. Like, even, even in the lean times or even when you're losing or even if the reliever's coming in and throws, you know, eight straight balls, they're still kind of under the sun, 
having a great time at Wrigley, enjoying themselves. There's a, there's a buzz to the crowd. And um, I think that just, uh, you know, kind of reflects the Midwestern sensibility a little bit about a little bit that the, the outcome wasn't the most important thing, kind of the experience and sharing it with people was. And in Boston, like we were really outcome based and determinative. So it's great. I, I, I'm more Bostonian than a Chicago because I grew up there, but I appreciate both sensibilities. And it's been good for me to uh, to be able to kick back and, you know, enjoy the experience, even when the outcome's not always great. And, and it, that made it so much more rewarding when we did win here to be able to reward the fans who were so patient for so long. Now, Theo, as we stroll down the primrose path of your nine years at the helm for the Chicago Cubs, was there ever a time where you doubted, where you looked around and said during these lean years, said, you know what, I don't know if I'll be able to turn this franchise around, or were you always confident in what you were able to bring to the table and confident in yourself? You know, there were a couple moments when we all looked at each other, you know, the inner circle in baseball operations when, you know, a player that we had hope to trade to get some key young players back as part of the part of the rebuild if that player got hurt we weren't able to trade him or a deal fell through where with all the rule changes restricting the ability to go out and acquire young players that that happened right as we got here there were some times where we look at the board and we say like okay yeah that's great we you know we drafted Chris Bryan we drafted Kyle Schwarber you know we traded for for Rizzo and traded for Hendricks and Arietta, but like there's not enough drafts. There's not enough trade deadlines. Where, where are we going to acquire all the talent that we need to fill out a championship roster? It's a long way from just a f- acquiring a few, you know, uh, key young players to filling out a championship roster. And we knew we needed to do it quickly. We didn't want a long drawn out process. And we were frustrated by, um, the, the limits on being transactional, you know, not enough opportunities to make trades, not enough ability to spend in the draft, not enough ability to, to be aggressive internationally. And so there were some moments where we look at each other and say, wow, you know, just about everything has to go right for us to start winning within a couple of years here, within a few years. And, you know, we, as an organization, we had a pretty, pretty high hit rate um, at the time with all those moves we made and it came together and allowed us to start being competitive in 15. But there were some moments we looked at each other and just didn't think it'd be able to, to happen quickly enough. What has been being a Chicagoan been like for you and your family? And what has been the greatest feeling about your sons growing up in the Midwest in a great city like Chicago? Yeah, I say being a Chicagoan for me, um, I can't think of another city where I'd be able to to walk to and from work the way I do. And I'll give you a good example. Like after batting practice for night games, there's usually about an hour of dead time. And, uh, you know, in any other city, I'd probably just have to um, sit behind my desk and return emails or something. And here, as soon as batting practice is over, I could walk home, uh, have dinner with my wife and two sons be part of the, you know, the start of the, the bedtime routine and connect for the day and then walk back and uh, get into my seat right in time for first pitch and um, feel the, you know, the, the buzz around the ballpark and the excitement of, of 40,000 fans getting ready for, for Cubs baseball at Wrigley Field. So that's pretty special. Um, I'll always be grateful to, uh, I've had that experience here in Chicago. And then the best part for my sons has been, you know, getting a, getting a, um, 
grow up watching games at Wrigley Field, um, singing the seventh inning stretch, uh, my youngest expecting every pitch to result in a foul ball that lands gently in his lap. Um, uh, my oldest, you know, sitting next to me for game seven of the World Series in Cleveland and um, me getting to experience that through his eyes and then both boys getting to be part of the parade. And, um, yeah, they're Chicagoans. They love the city. Uh, they love the Cubs. And um, it's made it even more meaningful uh, having my family by my side going through this journey for sure. We got to go back to that night. You just mentioned game seven. Um, I often ask fans, would you rather have had the Cubs win 13 to one and maybe score seven in the first inning and put your feet up, crack open a beverage and everything is good or to have it play out exactly the way it did. For me, I would not take it back. I think it was perfectly poetic. You could write a book about that night alone. I'm guessing you wouldn't have said this necessarily in the eighth inning, but can you say now that it played out exactly the way it should have? Yes, I would not have said that. It took me a while to <laughs> overcome everything. We, we, we all went through that night, but absolutely. Because I think we all uh, can rely on that night in some form or another. Um, understanding that even when things look like they're falling apart, there's still, there's still uh, some hope. If, you, um, if you've put in the work um, and you're prepared and you're connected, you know, I'll never forget to me, the most uh, memorable part of that night was during the rain delay running down through the clubhouse because I had to meet with the commissioner and with the Indians about the, the rain situation and getting a glimpse of our players um, all together connected in the weight room instead of sitting at their lockers as, as individuals, they came together as a group because they had put the work in to bond and connect and they knew they needed to be there for each other when they were at their moment of greatest vulnerability. And they were, they picked each other up, they cried together, they supported each other. And, and they, they talked about going out and winning that game for one another. And, and, and they took the field with that kind of solidarity and determination. And like 17 minutes later, um, they, you know, uh, got the single, the the tag up, and 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 the double to to give us the lead and ultimately win the World Series. So um, that's something I'll never forget. That you know, when when things look really really bleak, not to focus on what is what is seemingly being taken away from you, but instead to rely on the people who are important to you in your life, the connections that you have, and uh, face that adversity together. And uh, when you do that, it's amazing what you can overcome. Theo. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, first and foremost, from me to you, thanks so much for the memories. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Look forward to seeing you at the ballpark. Thanks once again to Theo Epstein for taking time out of his busy schedule. It's been a successful run for the Cubs under Theo Epstein. We all remember 2016. That was the first World Series title for the franchise since 1908, bringing that 108-year curse to a close. Now, Theo, he actually also oversaw five postseason teams, including three that went on to win the division, the National League Central. So, Bruce, we just gave the rundown of all Theo's accomplishments during his nine years on the north side. And when you think of that lasting impression, his legacy in the second city, what will it be? Winning and winning the World Series, making the Chicago Cubs into a world champion for the first time in 108 years, but also changing the mentality of hoping to win into expecting to win. And you see that among the fans. You see that among the organization now, even transcending into the Jed Hoyer era, the idea that the Chicago Cubs expect to win now. They don't hope to win. And that is the legacy that he has 
both here in Chicago and Boston, and will take into the Hall of Fame someday as being that accomplished executive. Of course, Bruce, you're exactly right. Ultimately, it's about on-field success and winning the World Series. And without that, and that's kind of the quantitative success for Theo in Chicago, but I want to also talk about the qualitative success of Theo. Uh, he's an executive unlike any we've been around and may ever see again. Off-field accountability, uh, the ability to make unpopular moves that he knew would help the franchise, uh, firing Ricky Renteria after just one year, knowing that Joe Madden was available uh, to manage the club in 2015. He acquired Aroldis Chapman, who had been suspended earlier uh, that season for an off-field incident. Chapman would ultimately be the closer for a team that won the World Series. The way he very deftly uh, handled the Addison Russell uh, situation, not only did he acknowledge how difficult those situations were, but he also wanted to make things better as a result of the publicity uh, of those incidents. Uh, the way he was with the media, uh, I know Bruce can, can attest to this, I always felt like I learned something new about baseball or leadership every time Theo Epstein spent a half hour uh, speaking to the local media. That's a very rare thing to have. And uh, being around Theo behind the curtain, uh, and, and knowing you know, how much time do you need, just go speak to the fans for three or four minutes and we're good. 25 minutes later, the entire crowd was. That's, that's Theo in a nutshell. He always under-promised and over-delivered. As you take a look at what Theo was able to bring to the Chicago Cubs, not just a World Series title in 2016, he was a great executive, but even more importantly, he's a great person. Yeah, he's a pretty good guitar player, too. Uh, I've had the chance to, to be on stage and backstage with him a few times and uh, maybe the smartest person I've ever been around. Uh, as we said earlier in the show, I think there's a lot of self-awareness there. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm just thinking about when he got hired because, you know, it's all about me. Right. So <laughs> often you say you don't quite appreciate something great until it's gone. I think I speak for a lot of Cub fans. I think they knew when Theo got here just how special an executive he was. He said he wanted to win the World Series within five years. He accomplished that goal. As Bruce said earlier in the show, he will be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. And he'll go down as one of the great executives in the history of the sport. He's 46 years old, guys. He's got a few more chapters to write. And as a, a bystander, I'm very curious to see what he has in store next. The intensity and tenacity of Theo Epstein is something I'll always remember because he was aggressive from day one all the way through today when he resigned as the president of the Chicago Cubs effective November 20th. And that he'll bring with him everywhere he goes, whether it's in politics, whether it's in sports, whether it's uh, lessons to his children, whether conversations with his wife. He is totally in the moment and always has been. And that I think is uh, going to be the challenge for the organization moving forward is to have that still that type of feeling uh, that, uh, you know, winning is great. Winning is what we do. Once we win, the next thing we need to do is win again. And that is something that I think may be missed. But I know that Jed Hoyer and the people left behind are going to pick that ball up and try to run with it. That's their challenge because nobody has done that better 
than Theo Epstein, both in Boston and here? Well, like Len said, selfishly, I've been lucky enough to be able to work alongside Theo in some capacity when I was in Boston and now with the Chicago Cubs and what he's been able to do for both franchises to be able to pretty much exercise both of those curses and get rid of those demons and keep them at arm's length and make the Chicago Cubs as well as the Boston Red Sox perennial winners. Well, that's certainly a feather in his cap. And Len, when you look at Jed Hoyer, he's been with the Cubs since 2011. He's an expert in his field. So when it comes to expectations surrounding Jed, what do you hope to see from him? Well, typically when you have a successor like this, it would be an assistant who had never run an organization. This will actually be the third baseball department that Jed Hoyer has run. Remember at one time when Theo had stepped aside uh, in Boston for that one offseason, he and Ben Sherrington were the co-general manager uh, at the time. Uh, and then in San Diego, uh, he ran uh, that uh, department as well. I think he's a very worthy successor. As Theo said earlier today, he is his own person. He has his ideas of how an organization should be run. Um, but it speaks very highly of Jed that the first thing Theo did when he got here was he wrestled him away from San Diego. I've gotten to know Jed very well, and uh, I think a lot of organizations would be thrilled to have him as their team president. Well, getting to know uh, Jed Hoyer uh, happened instantly after uh, Theo Epstein was named president of baseball operations back in 2011. Uh, I asked uh, for a get-together with Jed, and he said, yeah, sure, let's have lunch. And within two days, uh, we sat down uh, at Sluggers and had lunch for two hours just getting to know each other. He has an easy way with people. His communication skills are great. He's a perpetually happy guy that uh, puts out a lot of positive energy. While Theo hid his uh, real personality a little bit because it's different than uh, Jed's. Jed is uh, a guy that has tremendous capacity for talking and dealing with people on a daily basis. And he was used in that capacity to a great degree by Theo with a lot of success. And uh, going on his own way, I think he will be doing the same thing with just a little bit more freedom, reporting to only Mr. Ricketts from here on out. Bruce, as we look forward to the next season, what's going to be in store for Jed Hoyer? Because we know that there are some big-time names that have some big-time futures that may not involve the Chicago Cubs. Well, Cole, the door is wide open now for Jed Hoyer to make some big moves and to look toward the future. Uh, certainly, the Cubs want to win every year, but it's incumbent upon him to identify with Mr. Ricketts who the players are that they're going to sign, and if they can't sign them, trade them. And I, I really don't think it matters whether it's Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, or Schwarber. Uh, it's incumbent upon them to add to that young group that's coming up from the minor leagues, the Davises, the Amayas, uh, the people like that, Marquez, who will be the part of the Chicago Cubs future. And if you need to, and I think they may, trade some of these great all-star veterans for two or three young players to add to a new mix of young bulls for David Ross to manage going forward. And that's the charge I think that Hoyer has to face right now. Yes, they'd like to win this year, but rebuilding that farm system through trades, pretty much like they did back in 2012, 13, and 14, is what they must do uh, to be able to be a championship caliber team again over the next two or three years. 
couple things uh, to add to what Bruce said. They're coming off a division title. I think everyone agrees probably one big move needs to be made just to kind of change the dynamic uh, potentially. Uh, there are at least two uh, rotation spots that should be available. Along those lines, Adbert Alzali, remember that name. He could be a very key guy. Had uh, two really good appearances to end the regular season and could possibly be a bottom of the rotation uh, piece. I expect John Lester to be back. Uh, I'd be surprised if he's not. Uh, but the other part of this, guys, you have outside factors, not only a pandemic, but you have an industry that is uncertain in terms of when we might start the season. Are we going to play 162 next year? Will there be fans in the stands? Will there be a DH again in the National League? So I think there are a few more dominoes that still have to fall. The Cubs are going to have, in my opinion, a big and, and eventful offseason. I just don't know if it'll be early or if it'll be late, and they may have to wait a little bit just to see how some of those other things shake out. So we bid farewell to Theo and wish best of luck to Jed Hoyer, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast brought to you by Wintrust. Now don't forget, remember to download and subscribe to the pod today on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. So until next time, make it a good one. We'll see you then.